Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast, the podcast that digs into the very exciting games and supplements that Warlord Games puts out for us to enjoy and play. Now, if you have been anywhere near Warlord's uh, social media and or their webpage in recent months, you know that there has been another exciting expansion to the epic battles range of releases that Warlord's put out. Of course, we had Black Powder not so long ago. And if you look back at previous episodes, of course, we spoke to Rick Priestley. Today, we are going to speak to the author of another uh, of those excellent releases Epic Battles, Pike and Shot. And joining me today to talk about it is a man straight from Warlord itself, the author, Steve Morgan. Welcome to the Warlord cast, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Thank you for inviting me along. I'm very excited to talk about this because this is, I mean, the English Civil War, I know, is a passion of John Stollard, who is, of course, the main man at Warlord Games. And I know a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, he was part of the creation of English Civil War rules uh, for a variety of games. But once Warlord began, this was one of the games that he was very passionate about in creating. And... Um, it has been one of the original Warlord game pillar games from when Warlord first started. Can you talk to us a little bit about the history of Pike and Shot and Warlord's journey in creating it and supporting it over the years? Yeah, absolutely. As I say, it's one of John's great passions, one of the periods he's most interested in. And and pretty much the same same story with me. Um, we were both actually in, in the same reenactment society many, many moons ago, the sealed knot. Um, and when I started working with John, we could share a whole load of war stories about that. And when Warlord Games uh, first started um, producing stuff for Black Powder, we both felt very strongly that we should move that into the English Civil War, which because we both had an awful lot of figures already. And originally it was supposed to be a supplement to Black Powder. Um, and as time went on, it developed into this, this thing of its own, an entity in its own right. And having spoken to Rick, he was he was very clear early on that it needed its own rule set. And that's, that's really where it started. And John was very, very good enough to offer me a chance to write it because he knew how passionate I was about not only the English Civil War, but the Thirty Years' War. Mm -hmm. um, and it started from there, really. And because I had an interest in, in all history from about 1500 to 1700, um, which both the English Civil War and Thirty Years' War fall well, well within that period, it just seemed a natural evolution. And we had a studio that was going crazy producing all these really lovely figures as well. So it, it, was, um, it just seemed to make sense all around. Well, up until recently, it's been a 28 millimeter game, and there's been quite a few you know, expansions to it over the years. And we have gotten a rule set that you know, really does, as you say, covered that 100 years or so. And in that, there are incredibly bloody, incredibly long and brutal wars that took place that this rule set encapsulates. But with the Epic Battles expansion to this, of course, we've shrunk the scale down to the Epic Battles scale, hmm. and we've narrowed the scope of the game, at least initially. Is that correct? 
That, that's right. Yeah, it, it it is very much focused on Thirty Years' War, English Civil War. So, uh, 1618, 1648, That's the period this this is specifically based on, and it allows us to actually put in a load more new material to really um, focus our attention. Uh, time range you have to be a bit more broad brush but now that we've been able to narrow the epic pike and shot down to those distinct conflicts um, it allowed us to put a lot more detail in there now when we're talking about detail one of the things we often talk about on the show are and i know i'm jumping a little bit forward in the notes but we always talk about the scenarios that play out on the tabletop. And with some of the black powder discussions that we are having, I mean, the, the scenarios really do cover in amazing, in amazing detail some of the, the battles from history that you can play out on the tabletop. I'm assuming that we're going to see that level of detail here, especially since you've been able to narrow things down um, as opposed to covering, as we said before, 100 years. Yeah, we're really excited about the scenarios um, in in the epic battles because it, it has allowed us to focus right in on the Thirty Years' War and English Civil War, pick out the best of the uh, the scenarios and alter them to suit epic battles from the initial publications, but also produce new ones, uh, ones that lend themselves to having an epic battle and because we've been able to also focus on on those two conflicts we've been able to put a lot more characters in from them as well um so all around it, it's kind of been exciting being able to do that and hopefully the, the people like playing through those scenarios well i have a lot of questions about what you just said um let's start with this one i mean obviously zooming in or sorry zooming out from 28 millimeter to epic scale as you say, did necessitate some changes in some of the scenarios. Can you give us some examples of how the scenarios have changed to maybe represent a more epic battle on the tabletop, so to speak? Yeah. Um, with the grander battles, rather than taking a, a small portion of it, we've been able to use the rules. The major difference in the rules is, is the introduction of having a standard of mixed formations. In 28 mil, because of the scales we were using, um, most of the units you would buy would you would be buying a separate pipe block with with separate sleeves and and building it up from there. What we've done with Epic in the scenarios is a lot more combined units, so that when you are doing one of the larger battles, it's easy to represent, and then you can just add in extra pike or extra musket if you want to change the ratios of of to suit different armies. Also, with some of the smallest um, battles that took place, you're not necessarily with the units representing entire regiments. You can represent companies. Um, and because the units tend to come with two enzymes or standard bearers, um, it basically means that it would represent two companies. And as a standard regiment would have 10 companies, in theory, you could have five units representing a regiment. And that introduces all sorts of really neat dynamics in the game definitely well you also mentioned characters now one thing i've noticed is for pike and shot warlord games has put out a wonderful selection of 28 millimeter characters for that game over the years 
Now you guys have put out a mental number of epic battle scale characters that match the corresponding 28 millimeter models in a really cool and um, individual way. There are 20 new epic scale character models released with this set Mm -hmm. um, or with the corresponding sets with this release, I should say. So there are five for each side for the English Civil War and five for each side for the 30 Years War. That's got to be exciting for you as someone who's passionate about this time period. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And the studio have done a fantastic job because when we were actually coming up with a brief for what the figure should look like, we made the decision very early on that if we could replicate the existing 28 mil range and get as close to them as possible, so uh, they're instantly recognizable. Prince Rupert is a very good example. Um, and we've even managed to get Boy, his, his poodle, in, um, in epic scale as well. But the new ones, because we wanted to make sure that we could expand uh, the ranges, we've been able to do, um, for example, for the parliamentarian side, a Waller figure. And he was a, a very instrumental figure at the beginning of the war. Um, and his relationship... Um, with a, a general on the opposite side, Lord Hopton is quite famous that they would they, you know, write to each other, basically apologizing for having to fight each other, but that's war. Um, and being able to do uh, you know, miniatures and rules for those characters has, has been very has been very cool. Now, I'm not going to hold you down to a specific number, but do you know ballpark how many scenarios there are in the new book? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think there's about 12. Brilliant. And you know I'm going to ask, what is your favorite? I know it's always hard to say which is your favorite child if you've been writing these yourself, but Mm -hmm. what is your personal favorite? And that might relate to a historical anecdote. Oh, um, yeah. I I think my favorite's got to be Edge Hill. I think Edge Hill's got everything going for it. I think there are a lot of scenarios that I wrote, you know, being a bit vague on how many there are. I wrote a lot of scenarios and then some, you know, some made it in, some didn't, some will, mm-hmm. you know, be saved for, for doing online things. Uh, Edge Hill though, um, it's epic. It's the, it's the, the first real major conflict in the, in the British civil wars. You have all the dynamics of neither side really knowing what the other side uh, were about, how reliable the troops were. You had fantastic characters on, on each side. Um, the Earl of Essex, obviously, you had King Charles and, and Prince Rupert on, on the other side. There's the actual historical outcome was effectively a draw. So from a from a wargaming point of view, that opens up a whole load of possibilities of what ifs and, and could I do better. And and there were some really neat little things that you can with Edge Hill when you read into it, there was actually one of the one of the parliamentarian um, officers of horse, um, ironically called Faithful Fortescue, uh, changed sides right at the oh, outset wow. of the battle. Um, so he lined up for Parliament, and as soon as he was facing off against uh, Prince Rupert, uh, there was a preordained sign, and they just swapped sides. So we've been able to put something that gives a nod to that in the rules as well, because you know it'd be crazy not to. It's such a, it's such an interesting thing that happened. Yeah, it's one of those moments in history that, you know, you you expect to see stuff like that in, you know, 
fantasy TV shows like Game of Thrones and whatnot, but to actually hear about the real moments in history where that happened, so fascinating, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, and and in the the real battle, you know, a, a huge proportion of the front line of the parliamentarian army, you know, took one look at what was happening on the flanks and people changing sides, and they were off, and and how the entire army didn't break at that point is yeah we'll never know there are some very brave men on both sides um and replicating that it's just a fascinating battle all around edge hill i could wax lyrical about edge hill for for hours and end but the the battle you know shortly after that um the the battle of brentford was a much smaller action that we've included um but fascinating because it is smaller and you've got remnants of both armies defending basically this bridge on the way to london and yeah, that that leads to its own um, implications for wargaming as well. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask, especially since Pike and Shot's been around for so long, that clearly some things have changed between the game's initial release and its form in epic battles. Can you talk to us a little bit, uh, specifically towards those players who have been playing Pike and Shot for a while? What's new? What's different? Um, besides awesome new models, why look at Epic Battle Pike and Shot? Yeah, I, I think because it does give you that opportunity of playing those really big games that you've wanted to. I mean, I've played games of Naseby and, and Edge Hill in 28mm, but it, you know, you're talking enormous tables and huge amount of figures. So the the use of combined units, um, scaling everything everything down, having rules in there um especially for the 30 years war more rules on um sieges fortifications uh campaigns that kind of thing so hopefully it opens up a whole new world of it not just playing a one-off game but actually playing a number of games following on from each other and hopefully we will get people playing some pretty epic scale campaigns yeah, awesome. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the campaign system itself? It's really just building up your forces over a period of time and building them up to play bigger and bigger um, games. You you play Edge Hill and then you play Brentford and then you go to Turnham Green. It's not that sort of campaign. It's a campaign right. that very much allows the players to go at their own pace because we're we're fairly realistic that even an epic scale where in theory, you, you paint the figures and get them on the table much quicker. It's still going to take some time to build up that that huge force. We have a gentleman in the building who's preparing for salute, who's managed to get painted somewhere like 28 regiments of foot. Wow. That's pretty extreme up to this point. And, um, and so it's possible, but that's going to take time. And so to help people get there, having a campaign that allows you to do it in increments, I think is helpful. Now, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, the third Epic Battles release uh, from Warlord Games. With this, I mean, you guys have got to be learning valuable lessons each time you go through and release a new game in the scale. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the lessons that you learned from the prior releases that you used when um, planning out this? Because I can't help but notice there is a pretty good variety of units that are coming out in plastic and epic scale this time, I would say with more variety than previous releases. Absolutely, I think the, I think there've been a number of lessons, mostly from the D 
design of the the sprues the plastic sprues and how they're put together i think it was taken for granted that when we did the first one which is the american civil war that it would be you know it's a must be a fairly straightforward process you do this and you know of course that makes sense and it's only once you come out the other side that when we're going into the napoleonics and now the english civil the the, the pike and shot mm-hmm. um range it's looking at well what are all the forces that you would need or would want immediately even not need but would want um and how do we accommodate as much of that on the sprues as possible and so the the, the sprue process took a lot longer this time um reconfiguring it and trying to get everything right and just the the solution that that came out of this with the pike and actually having the front rank of individual models showed that there was that that's a, a progression of what we've learned in the, the the previous iterations that and and we're probably still not there yet is how much detail you put on the figures because um there's an argument to say we're putting way too much detail on figures that are that small um and how um how people deal with that whether they ignore it or because there are there are more washing techniques now painting can cope with it but um just looking at having painted some of the the epic pike and shot figures myself there is an awful lot of detail on them for Mm -hmm. that step yeah, but we are talking about a new era, right, where we have paints to be able to paint those, whereas, you know, you and I have been playing for quite a while. Um, I still paint miniatures the quote-unquote old-fashioned way of base coating, washing, highlight, 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 whereas with models like these, you might use some of the speed paint model uh, lines that are out there or contrast paints where all you have to do is put that spray of bone down or light gray and then very carefully add these very heavily pigmented almost washes, as you said. And then you can add a couple details. And as the Australians say, Bob's your uncle, you're done. Yeah. Um, where models to this detail may not have been possible way back when, but also the technologies to paint them weren't there either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think what the, the previous two games have, have shown us is that the, the gamers will, will find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of feedback to us as well about what people would like to see, the speed of the releases coming out, um, the fact that they really like the characters being done in that scale, which is why we've done so many characters for, for Pike and Shot. So there have been a lot of learning processes, and that's going to continue. I think we'd, we'd be crazy to think that, oh, we've, we've got it cracked now. We know how to do the, the, you know, the perfect epic game. I think it's going to be a constant evolution. So I'm kind of really excited about things that we do in the future. Absolutely. It's important to learn from our, I don't want to say mistakes, because clearly the games have been going very well, but learn from your experiences and build on from there. And yeah, I God, I have seen so many really beautiful epic scale models on different Facebook groups. Um, and again, just literally using those, those speed paints or light dry brushing, washing, whatever techniques, I, I'm just blown away at just how people are able to turn out so many beautiful models so quickly. And I think for people like maybe myself, uh, it might be a time to try some new techniques to uh, to get things going. Um, let's talk a little bit. I, I know we mentioned the variety, but let's actually mention the actual 
types of units that appear on these sprues. And these are in plastic, I might add. So mm -hmm. we have mounted, uh, I will never claim to get pronunciation right on the show, by the way, mounted um, battalia commanders, mm -hmm. um, ensigns, mounted cornets, combined pike and shot regiments, 80 soldiers each, uh, 36 commands shot. We have cavalry. We have... Carousius, yeah, the, the, the really heavily armored armored uh, horse, yep. Mm -hmm. Mounted dragoons, mounted mm -hmm. dismounted dragoons, mm -hmm. uh, saker cannons, and uh, falconel light falconets. guns. The falconets are, are basically small artillery pieces. Those are just the basic plastics. Then we start to get other things added onto that, as you said, like the characters. Mm -hmm. Another really exciting part of this release. I mean, we will talk about how this is being released in a minute, but I do want to talk to you about setting the stage because, you know, toy soldiers are only part of the picture, aren't they? Um, we want to play battles using our beautiful models on tables that are equally beautiful. And it's really exciting. Some of the terrain that is being put out with these releases, because man, does it make the tabletop sing? Absolutely. Um, I think, one of the really good fun things that we've been doing over the last couple of days is is setting out the the terrain that we're going to be uh, running down at the the salute show um and that's really given us an appreciation of just how good this terrain is when when you're putting it together you're putting one piece at a time you don't really see it and then because of the the scale of the game we've we've played a, one or two games where you're actually fighting over two distinct settlements. And in 28 mil, you, you don't really get that dynamic. No. But here, you've, you've got a, there's the edge of the town there, and there's a village over here, and you can actually have a battlefield in between. And how they set, how those pieces of terrain set the stage is absolutely critical. That's amazing. But we have um, what looks like gun emplacements almost like a, a star-shaped fort, um, but also there are separate gun emplacements that have come along that you can set up along your cannons as well um, mm -hmm. that are more like the, the bas filled baskets with rocks and stone. Um, yep. Wow, there is a lot of detail in these very small models. Um, what are those made out of? And uh, did is Warlord making those? Yeah, the, the, the Gabions are... Um... The, the initial gabions we've done are made of, of resin. Um, and, I've, you know, they were done specifically for the release of the game. And you, you're right. There's there's an awful lot of detail in them. The people who design those are far more talented than I am. No no idea how they do it at that scale. They've got better eyesight than me for a start. Mm -hmm. um, and they've they've knocked it out of the park. But all, all of the terrain that have been, that's been done for this so far, the stuff that um, the guys over at Sarissa have done has been fantastic as well. Um, so it, it's it's one of those examples of of it's not just warlord it's a, it's a lot of people pulling together to get this release out there. Yeah, because the houses are also just gorgeous. Again, you can have, as I said, an epic scale. You can have multiple dwellings of people in one on one table. As someone who's played twenty eight mil my whole life, I can't even consider that. For me, <laughs> you know, you would fit the corner of a city on a table, uh, and that would be your table. But to have two separate settlements in one place, amazing. 
Yeah, and I, I think that and that was you know, we really wanted to, to put in the rules for the siege works and uh, you know and and storming fortifications and star forts and all that sort of stuff in it. And yeah, and, and it, it's come together, which uh, yes, I, I couldn't be more excited about it. And, you know, it's one thing to see, you know, a couple of different house designs, but through you guys, you can also get, you know, windmills, you can get, um, I think that's a church. I mean, oh, there's yeah. all church. sorts yeah. of beautiful buildings that you can add in the scale to really bring your tabletop to life. It's amazing. Mm, yeah. And, and certainly pretty much all the maps of Battlefield, well, simply because of how um, villages and towns all across Europe, we're all based around churches. So pretty much every battlefield map will have a church on it somewhere or just off the edge of it. Um, so it kind of seemed, it seemed important. Um, and, you know, if, if you're in the, out in the British um, countryside, you'll, you know, if you stand in the middle of the field, you look in either direction, you'll probably see a church spire either, either way. So again, being able to replicate that on the battlefield and actually fight battles in between settlements having the churches was, was pretty important. So I have to ask, what is your favorite force in this release? And, um, have you been painting <laughs> for it? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I'm, I am a gaming magpie. So I will always flip between, um, in theory, I should, collect a royalist force because my my sealed knot regiment from way back when was, was a royalist one but i i do have um a strong urge to replicate my 28 mil army and expand it for early war parliament the parliament army at edge hill um is is a, a weakness of mine i think it's fascinating um and 30 years war sweets. Well, let's talk about how people can get into this game because there are four box sets. Actually, there's five. Mm -hmm. um, there may be even a few more than that, but there are, you can pick up a box set for each side for each conflict, or you can sort of go all in. How necessary is it if I'm picking up one of these, if I've never played Pike and Shot before, what's a good place to start? The best place is the Push of Pike starter set. That That is undeniably the best place to go because it outlines all of the forces. It also shows you how to paint the figures, you know, what, what colors they, they were. Um, there's some flags in there as well. Uh, there's terrain. You know, there's all the figures you would need to get started and actually get your army a lot of the way there and then you're just adding to that and and flavoring it after that um one of the the biggest um questions we we get asked a lot is is where you start you know how do you find out what colors to paint them so we've tried to take as much of that away and and say well this regiment as far as we know war blue or red the great thing about both the english civil wars and uh the 30 years war is there's an awful lot of regiments. We don't know what color their uniforms were. Possibly, well, certainly at the start of the war, most of the, the, the regiments didn't wear uniforms at all. So it's it's a, a wargaming um, tradition to, to paint them in uniform because it looks good. 
so if you wanted to paint up a particular regiment and it's not listed what color it is chances are you can just make it up um so you can't really go wrong and there are a lot of resources in that 260 page rule book that comes in all of the boxes there there certainly is yeah we try to say we try to cram as much in and and certainly with with some of the write-ups with with the scenarios for example if you wanted to replicate the scenario we've tried to put in the coat colors um to help as much as possible um because you know it can be quite daunting if you if you're going into a new period and you you're worried about you don't need you don't know enough um what i try to do is reassure people it doesn't matter how much you know when you pick up this box you know, read through it you'll you'll have everything you need to know to get started now if you want to add on to that as you said you can add there's lots of different add-ons that you can put on um you can buy some of the plastic separately there's mm -hmm. also specific boxes that you can add on that um either align with forces um you could get uh or align to particular battles so for example there's the battle of Winsea. Winsea, Winsea. yeah 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 um from yeah. the english civil war um you can get all the forces in one box for that it really depends on which way you want to go and of course, Warlord has given you the all-in option, which gives you everything in case you know you're a completist like me. Absolutely, and that that really is for people who who want to do those really large large scale battles and do it in an in an epic in an epic way. Um, but yeah, there are certainly some battles which were such as Windspeed, which were more cavalry oriented, um, and hopefully having all of the characters available to people as well. Um, they'll be able to, you know, flavor their army as, as they will. Um, you know, you'll have some people. It won't just be a case of I want to do a early parliamentarian army. You'll actually you, you can read through it and go. Actually, I want to do an Eastern Association army. I want Essex. I want a Western army. I want Waller, and it gives you it gives you those options. Yeah, I mean, you guys even have eighteen. You can get a pack of casualty markers that comes with eighteen resin casualty markers that you can paint up to put along your regiments as they die. Yeah, well, the way I play, I normally need quite a few of those, so they're they're pretty essential. So you thought you'd include a bunch in the box? Yeah. Well, if people are, I know we did talk a little bit about what people could expect if they had if they'd come from Pike and Shot before, and you know now they are jumping in. Um, to the epic scale, but for those of people who hadn't picked up anything at all, can you quickly talk us through what is Pike and Shot like to play on the tabletop? Well, first of all, uh, it looks spectacular. Mm. Um, any, I, I'm obviously biased, but I think the mixture of the Pike elements and the the musket elements, the cavalry, it it looks phenomenal. It's a command and control. Um, so your your commanders, your battalion commanders have certain um, command ratings. The better they are, the, the the higher the chance your your troops will will move and act as you want. Um, it's a dynamic game. It's not as broadly fast moving as Black Powder, um, where the troops tended to be better trained and there were more regimented national armies you're dealing with a lot of conflicts where there were quickly raised troops put onto the battlefield and so the the actual um the rate at which the troops move across the table is a little bit slower 
but you've got far more scope to um, to make some really interesting tactical decisions with your army about how you want to set them up. Because the, the battle, um, the warfare was going through a massive change during, during the pike and shot period. And there was a lot of experimentation about what formations people use, what ratios to musket to pike there were, how you used your cavalry, how dragoons were introduced. And these give the player an awful lot of um, opportunities to decide how they want to play the game. And you can be quite innovative and you can decide that you want to play a, quite a progressive um, tactics with your English Civil War armies and use some like the Swedish tactics, which are like, outlined in the rules, or you can be quite traditional. Um, but hopefully, either way, you get a game which is very representative of the period and really good fun to play. Uh, that's it, right? It all comes down to having fun on the tabletop and, you know, having a good time. That's why we play these games. Absolutely. Let's, see, let's talk a little bit about what's coming down the pike for Pike and Shot. Mm. I, I probably would get lynched by the studio if I went into too much detail here. Mm. They are working on more plastics as we speak, which I'm hugely excited about. They're also working on um, more characters. There will be um, more buildings. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're pulling out all the stops. There's lots of really cool stuff coming. And what's nice about being um, kind of the author of the game is I get to see some of this stuff well in advance. Um, but there's this element of trust there with the studios. Say, right, we're going to show you this, and we need your input on it, but you can't really talk about it. So we're kind of in that stage with a bunch of it at the moment, but the fact that they're already working on on the next um, the next plastics, that is that's a big deal. Yeah, that's really exciting because those plastics allow people to build up forces quickly and affordably, um, you know, compared to some of the metals and other technologies of the past, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and that, that that's what it's all about. It's uh, it's getting. It's getting large armies on the battlefield as quickly as possible and playing some game. And the fact that, you know, the, the stuff's coming out, you know, the, the push of pike game is two different colored plastics in the same way that we've, we've done with the, the, the previous iterations of Epic. You can actually get things on the table and playing some games before you've painted them if you want, just to get, you know, uh, an idea of, of what you want to paint first and how you're going to prioritize your army and what you really want to put the effort into. Yeah, and that's a good way to learn, right? Especially if you're a new player to the game. If you want to push things around, figure some things out, and then, as you say, then you decide to properly glue everything into place and then start painting. Although with miniatures that small, I get the feeling that perhaps you'd want to paint the stands separately and then glue them together. As a, as a pro at this, is that what you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, painting them, painting on the sprue is, is certainly easier. It's certainly the infantry. Uh, the cavalry... Yeah, I've not tried it with the cavalry, but certainly infantry painting them on the sprue seems to be the way forward. Um, that was some advice I was given. I tried it and I liked it. Yeah, but each each to their own. Uh, I think one of the, the the challenges I'm facing, as with most war gamers, is that of this period, or pretty much any period, is we never tend to have enough cavalry. One of the things certainly about this period is that the cavalry usually or often were equal in number to the infantry 
and as war gamers, we tend to go heavy on the infantry and not so much on the cavalry, possibly because they're diff more difficult to paint. And in this scale, at least you can you can really bash out some cavalry pretty quickly. Oh, that, yeah, that's really exciting, right? And get them on the tabletop quickly. And uh, as you said, get more of them yeah. um, in less time. Cool. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. As I said before, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. And um, we look forward to seeing what comes later with this release and all the upper other epic battle releases that are coming down the pike. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Cheers. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the Warlord Games official podcast. We will be back soon with lots of great releases. We have a few things up our sleeve. I'm not going to say specifically what the next episode is going to be, but it's coming soon and it is going to be great. Until then, look forward to hearing from you. Uh, if you do have any comments for the show, we've got a lot of feedback recently, specifically around um, covering of older bolt action theater and campaign books. Um, so I think we will try and squeeze some of those in uh, on this podcast. If you have ideas, if you liked what you heard today, if you'd like to hear more, please go to the podcast network where this podcast can be found. It's called Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you go to Facebook and type in Cast Dice, if you message that page, you will are guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name's Brad, and um, I will pass all feedback that comes our way to warlord and or all suggestions for the show as always until next time guys stay safe out there good night